Our next email is from Mr. Stephen Lacey, who hosts the 20 Minute Long Box podcast. Is that the one with the big computer? Yes, he has the big computer. Stephen says, <clears throat> Hurrah! I thought upon listening to the latest episode of Hey Kids Comics, a Daredevil episode. I too love DD, and the thought that I'd be able to write you a good email about whatever aspect of the man without fear you chose to cover. But then you didn't do any Daredevil. So no email for you, Steve. But we did get a Daredevil <laughs> an email. Which was funny. Exactly. Pay attention. Right. I replied to Stephen. I don't know how I'm able to reply to an email you didn't send, but the email you didn't send still managed to make me laugh an insane amount, which means I'm sat here laughing like an idiot at nothing. So thanks for not sending me an email, because that means I didn't look like an idiot to my family. Oh, and which you do anyway. Which I do anyway. To which Stephen responded, If it helps, the response you couldn't have sent to the email I didn't send just made me laugh a lot at lunch in the staff room, except that it didn't, because it didn't exist. I think at this point we're out Morrisoning Grant Morrison. Stephen. Okay. <laughs> That's a great email. But of course, yeah. none of those emails were ever sent. So this part of the oh. podcast never happened. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey, you. Yes, you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything, from movies to comic books to video games. And we're kicking it old school at EarthDestructionDirective.blogspot.com. Check it out, won't you? And remember, the EDD has got their eyes on you! 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 Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... H's Comics! Comic books. August summer morning. I say morning. 
it's 12.30 in the afternoon. But Michael's a teenager, so Michael has only just rolled out of bed. How do you feel this morning, Michael? I'm alright. Uh, <laughs> they dropped the bomb! Anyway, we finished Couch Potato. Are you happy that we finished Couch Potato? No. Why? I'm not going to sit on my ass anymore. No, we have to actually go back to writing notes and stuff. However! We have put it off for one more week because we're lazy buggers by and large, aren't we? Yeah. And today we're going to do an all-feedback episode. We'll milk, milk out these all-feedback episodes just so we don't have to do any more work. No, no, I've already made notes for the next four weeks' worth of shows because I've been on holiday. Uh, yeah, as far as you lot are concerned, our lovely listening audience, there has been no break. But as far as we're concerned, it's been ages since we recorded one of these, isn't it? Yeah. We recorded all the Couch Potato episodes in two batches over two days. What seems like months ago. So Michael could go off and have his social life with his girlfriend and all of that. Gubbins. And I was camping for a week. And he was off camping for a week. And obviously, let's not forget the all-important staying in bed till noon portion of the summer holidays. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded an episode. Over the summer, I have read, ooh, 70-odd issues of Shadow of the Bat. Yeah. And I'm halfway, th- no, I'm more than halfway through now. I reckon I'm two-thirds of the way through New Krypton. Public shout-out to Luke Giaconetta, who sold me all of those issues for a very reasonable price, considering he also had to ship them from America. Uh, so thank you to him. Uh, I'm also ploughing my way through the first Coruscant Knights Star Wars novel, which is very entertaining. Uh, we've watched all of the first season of Game of Thrones. I've not. Well, you've not, but me and your mum have, which is heartily recommended. And I've watched numerous episodes of The Flash to try and ascertain whether the Captain Cold one was an aberration or my childhood memories of that show were wrong. And I'm happy to report that every other episode I've watched has been pretty damn good. Okay. You've not watched any more, have you? I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, but we will come to Michael's opinion of The Flash and our audience's opinion of Michael's opinion of The Flash later on. Other than staying in bed till noon and fannying around with your girlfriend, what have you done over this summer holiday? I read Scarlet. Oh, is it any good, that? Mm. Is it not? Because I, I bought the hardback because it was quite cheap if you pre-order it. Yeah. And they haven't read it yet. All those five issues in that hardcover. Yeah. Could have been one issue. Right. Scarlet is the icon series by Bendis and Malieve, who had an excellent run on Daredevil. I've read every issue of Hellblazer. Oh, well, not every, but I've almost finished Garfinis' run. From the beginning? Mm-hmm. Fair play. Anything else? I've finished Sandman. Oh, very good. Yes. yes, we went to MCM Expo, which by and large was quite disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah. But we managed to pick up the Crisis on Infinite Earths Absolute Edition and the final Sandman volume, volume four. Mm-hmm. But it's not the final, we're going to do another one, aren't we? Yeah. Going to milk that cow until it's dry, isn't it? Until its teeth hangs low on the ground. <laughs> um, for 50% off, so I was quite impressed with that. But by and large, but we are going to Birmingham Comic Con. There's no point in us telling you that, because by the time you hear this, we'll have gone. Yeah. So that's a bit silly. Anyway, uh, oh, and we watched Black Swan, the film. I do. Which is quite entertaining. But we haven't was seen... Was it entertaining or yeah, was that no, one scene it's, it's entertaining? It's a very, very good film, actually. If you're just watching it for the one scene, you're going to be very disappointed <laughs> in that one scene. But the film is actually quite creepy and psychologically very interesting. Okay. How far will you go for your art until it becomes detrimental to your health? 
Okay. Very good film. I enjoyed it. Very, very good. Uh, so anyway, feedback. So these feedbacks are going all the way back to July. 14th of July, 2011, this one was. It is from Luke Giaconetti. So we'll be picking up some threads that we talked about, oh God, six or seven weeks ago now. Yeah. So you'll have to bear with us if we don't actually remember anything. Because Michael has slept since then and I've drank beer. And Dad doesn't remember what he had for tea yesterday. No, no. I do remember the pain of having my Veruca frozen off. <laughs> that was that was quite fun. That that provoked lots of drinking. Uh, Luke Giaconetti, the of this high here parish. Parish. Because we just mentioned him earlier on. I'll throw a trailer in for Luke's podcast because I'm nice like that. You are. Yeah. Luke and I have been chatting on, on the email quite a bit over summer. By and large about the James Bond books. Yeah. And films. Is he your friend? Yes, I have a friend. Dog. I have, a, I have one friend. <laughs> and he's half a world away, so he doesn't have to ever actually see him. Perfect kind of friend, one would imagine. I'll buy him a beer if he's ever in England. He can buy me some Budweiser or... He can package it over to whatever. Yeah, he should have put one in the package yeah. with his comics. That would have been cool. Anyway, we are digressing. This is feedback. Not that we ever digress. No, um, God forbid. Feedback for Nightfall Part 5. God, that's going back a while, isn't it? Just a bit. Do you remember us covering Nightfall? No. Such a long time ago. It seems like that the story where Batman gets his memories. back broken? Yeah, I vaguely recall that. We should have flashback music in there, shall we? <laughs> No, that was Winnie Cooper, wasn't it? Flashback movie kids. We're all going to sepia tone. Yeah, and we're all going to sepia. Can you make sepia sound? Can you make sepia on an audio podcast? I doubt it. Anyway, you're distracting me with your waffle. It's a good waffle. It's a very good waffle. Hey dudes, says Luke. Some of the British comedies we've got over here, Monty Python's Flying Circus, big thumbs up. Are You Being Served? Moderate thumb. Faulty Towers, big thumbs up. Black Adder, big thumbs up. Keeping Up Appearances, oh no. Mr Bean, absolutely fabulous. Yeah, I'll go with absolutely fabulous. And Benny Hill. Uh, and Yes Minister Yes Minister is actually very good I remember an episode of Keeping Up Appearances where they go on a cruise which was absolutely hilarious I never wasn't a fan of Keeping Up Appearances I, I never got into Keeping Up Appearances Mrs. Bouquet I think this was before oh, you were born yeah yeah Nan likes uh, Keeping Up Appearances yes. at first when you started talking about Batman 499 with Todd McFarlane I was like what the heck Todd McFarlane very clever Leyland very clever indeed. It's the one where we're talking about venom, the venom drug, and I said oh. it was by Todd. And you, you got faked out by that as well, if memory serves. Yeah. You thought I was being serious there as well. So I reeled you both in with my cunning <laughs> ruse. My attempt at humour worked. Sucky but you. Yes, for the first time in 40 episodes, one of my attempted attempts at humour worked. Yeah. And one of my backfiring attempts at humour failed to work. Oh, something. Anyway, Luke carries on. Anyway, it sounds like they really are setting up Valley as the all-new, all-deadly Batman. Definitely a 1990s approach to superheroes, but put through the filter of a sort of subtle satire, rather than the other comics of the day which were deadly serious. And by being deadly serious, those image comics of which Luke speaks yeah. ended up being funny. Grant okay. Morrison did a, did a Mickey take of him called Doom Force. Doom Force, yeah. Have you got that? No. Being the big Grant Morrison fan that you are? No. No, right. Scott's got it. Okay. Oh, mate, Scott, you'll have to ask, can I borrow it? I'll steal the most of these Doom Patrols off him. Yes, I'm sure he'll like Most of them, anyway. By the way, the reason why Barks, 
Luke continues, is advertising the tattoos instead of the root beer is because Bart's root beer is not good. And he's put that in capital letters. <laughs> so it really isn't very good. Okay. Spree are like sweet tarts with a candy shell around them. Not sure if you have sweet tarts over the... Oh, we have sweet tarts! But I suspect <laughs> not of that variety. <laughs> oh, God damn it, Alter. Hell, you did it, you damn dirty apes. Awesome use of Iron Maiden! There is no other use of Iron Maiden other than awesome. Okay. We, th- we threw um, 666, the number of the beast, into one of the episodes when we did Detective Comics 666. You wouldn't know this because you don't actually listen to our show. I can't listen to my voice again. Why not? I have to listen to mine when I edit this. I edit this the Blackest Night episode. I sound like my, glass in a washing machine. My voice drove me mental. I couldn't take it. Did it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was too much for you, was it? it was. Eventually you get used to it. Yeah. The best thing to do is think of it as being someone else. Anyway. Oh, there you go. Take a drink. I saw them at the Hammerstein Ballroom in Manhattan a number of years ago. The show was insane, pretty because partly because the venue was way too small. The ballroom seats about 2,500 for a concert, and this place was jammed full. This was after Bruce Dickinson came back, but before the release of Brave New World, so they played a set of songs covering every single album. So we got stuff as old as Phantom of the Opera, straight through to stuff as then new as The Klansman, and hearing 2,500 insane Maiden fans scream, FREEDOM! Like the chorus of that song was spine tingling. Insane show. You need to go to my Men concert, don't you? Okay. You need to get a job, obviously. One really amusing bit. My father and I took the train into Manhattan and then walked from Grand Central Station, 42nd Street and Park, to the ballroom, 34th Street. And of course, I'm wearing my maiden shirt featuring the art from the No Prayer for the Dying single CD art. I am men do great t shirts. Okay. With Eddie the head on. Eddie the head. My favourite is Somewhere in Time. Okay. I like that cover. It was a big gatefold cover on the double LP. And Eddie is very Terminator, with half of his face with the Terminator deathlock kind of thing on and a gun in his hand. And there's loads of detail on the background, including Batman. It's very Blade Runner, but everything's very Blade Runner. Anyway, and block by block, as we get close to the ballroom, more and more maiden shirts start popping up. More and more and more. And then suddenly you start seeing guys carrying Union Jack flags until we get to the 34th Street and it's wall-to-wall metalheads. Then my father turns to me and says, this is a British band? <laughs> None more British, one would argue. Crazily enough, I saw a dude fall off the second balcony during the show. He was completely upside down by the time he was level with the first balcony, then right side up by the time he hit the floor. I do hope he was okay. <laughs> We're not laughing at some poor man's misfortune at an Iron Maiden concert. No, I'm sure he's fine. He'd be too drunk to notice. Probably. Back in the 90s, Joe Quisada was a heck of an artist. I always dug his stuff on Exo Man of War at Valiant, for instance. I dug the heck out of his Batman 500 double cover deal. In the days where gimmicky covers were the norm, this one stood out as being very well put together. The bit with Dick Grayson just saying that Bruce knows what he's doing is so stupid. Especially considering that this is post the whole Dick becomes a man thing in the 80s. So why the heck would he just go with it and not question it. I don't see him particularly like Nightwing and think that is really dumb. The long fight between Asbats and Bane was pretty cool when I read this as a teenager, but the ending where he doesn't kill Bane was blunted somewhat from reading this issue in a vacuum. Still, I remember thinking this was pretty cool as a finale to the story. I really thought that Asbats would take over full-time and long-term as Batman, but as I said, I was a teenager and didn't know any better. Well, no, yeah, we mentioned the, the Nightwing scene was very perfunctory, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like the editors have gone, is Nightwing, Shut, Shut up. up. And it was lame, to be honest with you, and wasn't. But, as we mentioned, that, that whole part of the Nightwing 
Nightwing, not Nightfall story, they just kind of sweep him under the carpet because yeah. there is no logical reason that Dick Grayson wouldn't come in, kick John Paul Valley out the back cave and take over for Bruce. Mm-hmm. So that bit's all very, 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 you really have to accept that to go with the story. And if you can't accept that, the story's just not going to work for you because yeah. it makes no sense. The Asbat suit was ugly as heck, but wasn't that the point? I yes. liked it. Yes, it well, you're a teenager. Okay. So, I always thought that his costume was supposed to be ridiculous. Yes, it is. A play on the bizarre and insane costumes supported by ultra-violent heroes like the Youngblood and Brigade over Image at the time. Did you know? We probably didn't know no. this. I tried to get the final countdown played at my wedding. <laughs> okay. But when I, came, when I came down the aisle before my groomsmen, but my wife shot that down, I can't see why. Mm. I don't understand. I've thought, this is really bad, I've thought when we renew our vows next year, yeah. I want to do the, the, the get the medal bit from Star Wars. Mum's not down with that at all. Unfortunately, she's she's drawing a line in the sand. Thanks for the awesome coverage of Nightfall. I've really enjoyed these episodes, and if I ever find these on the cheap, I will pick them up to check them out. Definitely a classic Bat Saga. Keep it up, dudes. Luke. P.S. Michael, quit feeling up your father's comic book. <laughs> He's done it since then, Luke. He sat there stroking um, an embossed cover for something else. I don't even remember what that was. Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099, yeah. Sat stroking the cover. <laughs> oh, you're a freak. Shiny. Tom Panarese, or Panarese, I hope I'm saying that right, got in touch and said Nightwing in Nightfall, which is a great title for an email. Nightwing in Nightfall. Andrew and Michael. Hello, Tom. I wanted to write... He didn't say that. I just said that. Tom Panarese said Andrew and Michael. I said hello, Tom. Oh, right. Just so you're not confused. Oh, right. Because you're obviously paying attention. Very. Yeah. I wanted to write in and say that I really enjoyed your series on Nightfall. Thank you very much. Although I don't think I've ever stroked a comic that much. <laughs> it was a one-time thing. A one-time thing. Apart from the next time you did it. Well, that was a one-time thing. Oh, Tom carries on. You may want to talk to a professional about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, quality. You're all just jealous because the voices only talk to me. Uh, the voices only talk to you. <laughs> Anyway, Tom continues, a word on Nightwing and his place in this story, both the in-universe and real-world reasons. At the time, Nightwing was still a member of the New Titans, and that boot was in the middle of a very dark storyline where Dick nearly married his then-girlfriend Starfire, only to have the wedding interrupted by an evil version of Raven, who kissed Starfire, lesbianism, and made her go completely catatonic. This happened in New Titans 100, which is just as crazy as it sounds, but it did have a foil cover. Best not put that anywhere near you then, had <laughs> we? As a result, Tom continues, Dick winds up doing a lot of soul-searching and more or less acts completely out of character until he ultimately leaves the New Titans and Starfire behind right before Zero Hour. Right, so that does make a bit more sense that Dick has been, for want of a better word, a dick. 
Yeah, doesn't okay. it? If he is going through some stuff with Starfire. So that's the in-universe reason. The real-world reason, as best as I can tell, is that Marv Wolfman, who had co-created the Nightwing persona with George Perez, had been writing Nightwing for the better part of a decade at this point and was very protective of the character. In fact, it would be another year until Nightwing would finally not be Wolfman's property and would be the hands of Denny O'Neill and the Batman team, which is why I think we get prodigal when we do. Thank you for being so entertaining. I look forward to more great episodes. All the best, Tom Panarisi. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Uh, I emailed Tom back because I do try and email people back yeah. as a rule and say, hey, thank you for that. Listen to the show more. Tell all your friends. We want 550,000 downloads by the end of the year. Um, and he replied saying he just listened to our Spider Man 2099 episode. And you guys going through the entertainment this month, American Comics ad, and making fun of all the 90s comics was hilarious. Thank you very much, Tom. We appreciate that. I think we did that off the cuff as well. Yeah. Maybe the moral to this story is we shouldn't actually. Right, no. Script anything. I never do. No, Luke Giaconetti got back in touch. Feedback for Spider-Man 2099 episode. I don't know if you guys are familiar with American comedian Bill Engvall or not. I have no idea who that is. No. No, sorry. But he has a routine called Here's Your Sign. Essentially, the idea is that stupid people should wear a sign which says, I'm stupid, so that you wouldn't count on them for anything. One Here's Your Sign bit goes like this. A buddy of mine were fishing, and we got back to the dock. I pulled up this big stringer of bass, and this idiot on the dock says, Catch all in fish? Nope. Talk to me into giving up. Here's your sign. I get that. So we should have it. So the, yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. He's obviously said something obvious to it. How else do you think he's got those fish? He's charmed them out of the water like a snake charmer does. Or he's got Aquaman to bring them all to him. Hey, Aquaman, bring me some fish. (laughs) He just sang a song. Yes, he sang. Like the sirens of the sea. Very good. Very good reference there. I like that. Clever. Yes, even accidentally. I'm clever. Well. Regarding the Nightfall trade paperback, as I said, I had recalled seeing it in my local used bookstore. Bookstore? Bookstore. <laughs> so when I went there, and it was gone, I was annoyed. But that's the way a used bookstore works. A few days ago, I went upstairs to where I store my comics, toys, and other nerd crap, and was looking it? for a trade paperback on a bookshelf when what do I find? Nightfall volumes 1 and 2. <laughs> so I pulled them off the shelf and they have the price tag still on them from the used bookstore see gents I could not buy the Nightfall trade paperback because I had already bought it here's your sign is that what he's going with this makes sense so as amusing as it is to consider that James Hunt flew to South Carolina drove specifically to Mr K's used books on Verde Boulevard in Greenville and bought the trade out from under me the only one to blame here is myself here's your sign <laughs> it's quite a cool story, that. <laughs> so he could have been reading Nightfall along with us. Yeah. Oh, dear. Maybe. He didn't buy it, but he's a di- uh, multiple persona which bought it. Yes, like in Black Swan. Wow, Luke's Natalie Portman. Or in South Park. Yes, or in South Park. Or any other, other number of things where people have split yeah. personalities, which has now been disowned by the medical community, I think. Does so, the singer of Echo and the Bunnyman have Yes, he's both Echo and Bunnyman. Shoot. So I guess I'll get to read these stories now. Good. Anyway, as far as 2099, Luke continues, I read a few issues of the very, very bad Punisher 2099, and that's about it. I've never read any of them. The only future series I ever really liked was Magnus Robot Fighter, which I've also never read. And that was one was always more of a sci-fi action book than a superhero book. Oh, so I may like that, then. 
I like my sci-fi comics. That book worked best when it was dealing with science fiction concepts like robots with free will or spiralling cities in the sky and whatnot. But stuff like 2099 or Legion of Superheroes are hard sell for me for whatever reason. I guess because I would rather just have the science fiction stuff in that sort of context rather than superheroes. Go figure. For what it's worth, Magnus vs. Predator was actually really good. Is there anyone the Predator's not fought now? No. Okay. Spider-Man vs. Predator. No, I've never had that, have I? No. Right. Put another way, I would rather read about Judge Dredd hunting down punks in Mega City 1 than a futuristic Spider-Man swinging around some Philip K. Dick-esque Manhattan. I am the law. I'd rather have Judge Dredd do that as long as he's not played by Sylvester Stallone. Okay. I had a conversation about that film yesterday. It's so I quite like Judge Dredd. I thought it was pants. It's, you're wrong. It's, no, no. If, did you say I thought it was pants? Yeah. Then you're not wrong. Okay. That is a sucky, sucky film. Although I will say those 2099 foil covers were quite nifty. Yeah, Michael thought. <laughs> I remember the gimmicky covers of the 90s very well, and the foil ones were usually pretty nice because they were not super intrusive and really popped when on the shelf. Some of my favourites are the foil covers to Iron Man tw- 288. Hot! 290 okay. and 300. <laughs> foil covers worked very well for Iron Man for obvious. He's actually put hot in there. I'm not taking credit for that funny. That was, that was all Luke. In any event, I am glad those days are behind us, but it was always nice when a smaller title got a fancy cover. Regarding Stark Fujikawa, that was actually a development in the contemporary Iron Man books of the time, where Morgan Stark, Tony's cousin, allowed a merger with Fujikawa Corporation after Tony's apparent death. This was the second period where Jim Rhodes was wearing the armour, the black and white armour, which would go on to become the War Machine armour. Stark Fujikawa was actually around for quite a while in the Marvel Universe, until eventually Stark's late 90s to early 80s girlfriend, Rumiko Fujikawa, daughter of the CEO of Fujikawa Corp gave Tony some stock which allowed him to regain controlling interest in the company. Tony would then merge Stark Fujikawa and Stark Solutions the company formed in the mid-90s after Hero's return to reform Stark Enterprises once more. Blimey, that sounds very complicated. One thing to keep in mind about Iron Man comics, they not only love detailing lots of high-technology gadgets and gizmos, but they also love capitalism and business intrigue, as you can tell. Yeah, blimey. I remember, I read all of the ones where Obadiah Stain took over Stark. Yeah. And Stark, Tony plummeted back into alcoholism. Because that was the first time James Rhodes took over the Iron Man suit, wasn't it? Leading up to, I think that's Iron Man 200. I remember reading all of them when I was about I your age. I read those in Invincible Iron Man, where he just goes, Ah, Obadiah Stane, he took over my company, and I drank alcohol, but I whooped his ass. Yeah, well, he did a bigger, long story about that. Denny O'Neill wrote it, I think. Regarding Ren and Stimpy, I'll teach you to be happy, I'll teach your grandmother to suck eggs, and I told you I'd shoot, but you didn't believe me. Why didn't you believe me? See, I, I've watched a lot of Ren and Stimpy, but I don't remember any of it. <laughs> used to be on BBC Two, normally about 6.40ish after, I want to say it was after, after Book Rogers. Okay. But I can't recall. Keep up the good work, dudes, and remember, Gordon's alive! Hot crap. We put Brian Blessed in an episode. You don't know that either, do you? Actually, on the forum, Luke posted an excellent YouTube clip of Brian Blessed saying Gordon's alive from different places. One of which was his appearance on Have I Got News For You? Which was fantastic. Brian Blessed on Have I Got News For You was comedy gold.
week on the 20 minute long box I submit myself to the powers of randomness and review a title from my collection completely at random and all within 20 minutes. It's the super compressed podcast for the decompressed written for trade age. Join me Steve Lacey each week at 20 minutes long or find me on iTunes. Spider-Man 2099, this time James Hunt has emailed us. Hey dudes, the new guy again. The Spider-Man 2099 episode was great. That shouldn't surprise me, but for some reason it does. It surprises us as well, James, when an episode turns out well. (laughs) We're sat here going, oh, we'll fix it in post. (laughs) You don't hear all the stuff we cut out. Uh, And really interesting, as I've just started reading it myself. I've always been interested in Spidey 2099, and this interest was increased by the release of the Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions game last year, which I feel is the best Spider-Man game released due to its pick-up ability. What did you two think of the game? Shattered Dim. Yeah. What? It's it's shattered. Oh, don't you <laughs> crap anachronym. Shattered Dim. You use cod all the time. Only because Adam does. Shattered <laughs> Oh, that's like Spidey when you talk about that Heidi and Spider guy. Oh, stop it. No. I haven't played it, James. No. I am looking for it. I saw it for 12 quid on Amazon and foolishly didn't buy it and I've it's never seen it for that cheap the again. Best Spider-Man. Which is the best Spider-Man game? Spider-Man 2. The game, the film one or Entry Electro? The film one. Really? Yeah. See, I love Entry Electro. I love the web ball. Shupa, <laughs> You can shupa. use that on Spider-Man too. Uh, can you? <laughs> I don't know, I see. So I do intend on getting an older copy of Shattered Dimensions because it's got Spider-Man 2099 in it. Okay. And I like Spider-Man 2099. Also, James Hunt continues, I saw on your Facebook page you went to see Batman Live. Yeah. Could you give us a quick review of it as I am in two minds whether to go to it or not? It has the potential of being amazingly epic. However, it could also miss the boat completely and be left bobbing about in the harbour. Well, I did reply to James on the 24th of July because I told him, because a couch potato wouldn't be doing feedback. But for the benefit of our listening audience... I will read you a quick summary of what I said to James. Batman Live is pretty fun. It's very much a stage show and theatrical act with circus acts and acrobatics being set in Halley's Circus for much of its runtime. So if that's not your bag, you may be put off. The costumes and performances are very good. Special mentions is to Catwoman, who looks like she's having a ball. Harley Quinn, who was by far the best one in it, I thought, and the Joker. Although Batman's costume isn't quite right. It is a bit camp. Yeah, he looks a bit porky in that he's suit. Dancing around his He doesn't Batman doesn't do a lot of dancing. Yes, he does. In tone, it feels like Batman Forever. Not as campy as Batman and Robin, but not as dark as Batman or Batman Returns. The kids, both mine and those around me, loved it. I've never seen so many Batman costumes and Robin and the Joker, masks or t-shirts on kids. These characters really resonate with the young uns. The only bum note, no comics. Loads of merchandise and not a single comic. DC should have had a cheap, say about a tenner, reprint book of about ten issues of the old Batman Adventures series without by Mike, Parabe- uh, Mike Parabek featuring characters that were in the show. And I reckon the kids would have eaten it up. Mm. My opinion, it's about eight out of ten. Um, it's not epic. 
epic because it's a stage show. So by definition, you're stuck to the limits of the stage. But I enjoy it. If you get the chance to go and see it, I would. That that scarecrow creeped me out. Yeah, then the scarecrow was not creepy. But when it went back, it was just behind the set, completely pitch black, except for like an orange outline, mm. which was quite creepy. It was quite, and Bruce's parents' death's quite good as well, isn't it? Mm. Because it's done off-screen. Mm. So I was quite impressed with that. And you went watching Zorro. Yes. Well, Zorro. Yes, maybe his American accent. <laughs> I was quite impressed as well that the guy who played Commissioner Gordon also played the Penguin. Because you really wouldn't have spotted that. I didn't. See, so it was really well done. Uh, by the way, continues James, it's funny you mentioned Luke being able to, unable to get his hands on volume one of Nightfall. This is local bookshop due to it being sold. eBay International can be an evil things. <laughs> so James, well, as it turned out, we know that Luke's got that book. So you're not going to make a sale though, James. Uh, again, great show, Steve. Thank you. I'm glad that's that's picking up traction. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, James. Thanks for the reading suggestions, he says. I've managed to get his hands on Amazing Spider-Man 252. Oh, good. So maybe he'll cover that one. That's from James Hunt. Thank you very much, James. The Jim Lee artwork was quite cool as well. In Amazing Spider-Man 252? No, in Batman Live. In Batman Live, yes. The program's really good as well. Yeah. I picked up a copy of the program. Halfway recommend it. Um, Luke Giaconetti came back again. Feedback for the Star Trek episode. This guy's outbeating Michael Bay. He is at the minute. Uh, If we were making a tally of emails. Hey there, Leylands. That would be us. Was it? Yes. I would not. I thoroughly enjoyed your Star Trek episode. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed it too. I put a lot of effort into the editing of that one. Because I've got little bridge sound effects. (laughs) Phaser sound effects. Transporter beams. All the music from the show. Dun, 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 dun. I loved editing that one. No, I didn't pull that in. I didn't put the fight music in. Unfortunately, there was no room for it. So never mind. Uh, I've got a lot of fond memories of watching Star Trek on Channel 11 WPIX. Anyone from New York knows Channel 11. As a little kid and got into the next generation while in middle school. I'm also a big fan of the movies, which I got into in high school since my father had the VHS set of all five original films. With the VHS boxes combined to make an image of the Enterprise. I had that. Yeah, I bought that video set because it was in widescreen. I remember it now. Yes, I had that before the DVDs came out. Um, I never got much into Trek comics for some reason, but as I've detailed in previous emails, I never made the best decisions regarding comic book buying. I have not read this particular annual, but I do have a digital copy of it, so I intend to give it a read now and see if I enjoy it as much as you do. I hope you did. I love that annual. I thought it was fantastic. Funny note, this was a DC issue, but DC never did an adaptation of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, No Marvel did that. Marvel did an adaptation of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Say the Marvel one sucked. The adaptation of The Motion Picture is not bad. The actual comic series, not very good. No one did an adaptation of Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan until recently when IDW did it. And then they put them all together in a graphic novel. And it looks really out of place. Because you've got a 1970s adaptation of the motion picture yeah. and then a ninety, and then a 2010 adaptation of Star Trek 2 and then back to 1983 for an adaptation of Star Trek 3 okay. so they should really try to mimic the yeah. look of old comics because it just looks terrible also Dan DiDio does have some writers who can write Superman you'll see when you get the box of Superman comics I mailed you good work dudes Luke Giaconetti uh, I am enjoying New Krypton uh, I'm enjoying Supergirl most yeah. yeah that's been the big surprise Sterling Gates run on Supergirl it's pretty damn good um, Superman in the Bronze Age, which is actually Charlie Niemeyer. 
right. Superman in the Bronze Age is Charlie Niemeyer's podcast, which is good. I've just started listening to it. So I'm about 25 episodes behind everyone else. But I've had to, you know, I've got, I have to work and catch up with things. But it's good. I'm enjoying it. Because okay. I like Superman in the Bronze Age. Uh, another fun episode from the Leylands. I honestly could not tell you which seasons or series of Doctor Who have been on PBS, but I have seen Tom Baker and David Tennant as the Doctor. I'm not even sure they play that much Doctor Who anymore since BBC America has become more popular and more wildly available. Keep up the good work. Thanks for playing my promo again. Oh, we'll always play your promo, Charlie. And thank you for making a Star Trek comic sound interesting to a non-Star Trek geek. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. If we can make comics that people don't like sound interesting... We're doing a damn good job. We're doing okay. Our next email is also about Star Trek Annual 2, and it is from Sean Engrill, who is also known as Joe Anthrax which we have discussed is an excellent name. Oh, I've had the pleasure name, of speaking to Mr. Sean Engel, or Joe Athra Anthrax, on the Wonder Woman episode of Two True Freaks, which, which I got to be a part of. But no, we didn't do it twice at all. Uh, Sean says, hello, Andrew and Michael. Joe, thanks again for another wonderful episode. Love the show, Steve. We love self-aggrandizement, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Much like Andrew, Star Trek was an important part of my childhood experience. And also, like Andrew, even though I had a great love for Trek in all its forms, I never took it to the level that could be called excessive, such as dressing in Starfleet uniforms, learning to speak Klingon, etc. No, to this day, I can't speak Klingon. You tell us that, but secretly. (laughs) Secretly cosplay. (laughs) There was a couple of good Star Trek uniforms at MCM Expo. Wasn't there? I didn't see Did it. you not see them? Somebody was in the movie uniforms, uh, and they were really quite. I good. saw this little six-year-old dressed up as someone from Death Note. Yeah, that was cool. See, I have no problem with cosplay yeah. at all. I mean, it's just—it's never been my bag, but I do like seeing other people's costumes. It's just—I've never felt the need to dress up or something else. <laughs> I don't understand. Maybe it's just me. The worst I ever got was in an editorial I wrote to my local newspaper decrying the upcoming series of Star Trek The Next Generation, which I thought was altogether wrong by having a balding French surrender monkey as a captain. (laughs) Oh, dear me. That wasn't us that said that, if we have any French (laughs) listeners. And the Klingon bastard, you murdered my son, has a bridge officer. But being a fan of Trek, I eventually warmed to Next Generation and even forgave and came to enjoy the characters I had initially scorned. But even with its improved special effects and more expansive feel, Next Gen never grabbed me like the original series. See, I don't think Next Generation had that great improved special effects. Mm. They looked nicer, because it was 20 years later, but there were still variations on ship in orbit, ship in warp. They didn't they didn't have respects like the new Battlestar Galactica does, like dog fights and all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> Number one, if I was to whisper in your ear like Commander Wars head looked like a fanny, would you join me in a laugh? Okay, oh, no, that's family guy. I hate family <laughs> This is a comic that I don't currently have, but soon will, thanks to eBay. Heartily recommend that. Glory Star Trek annual number two, yeah. I've long been a fan of Dan Jurgen's art, and it'll be interesting to see how he renders the crew, especially when it's supposed to be pre-Star Trek the motion picture. I think he did a good job. Mm. Did an excellent job. Now on to some more random thoughts. Uhura mentions having to wear a miniskirt for five years was rather amusing because I just watched an episode of Next Gen where a male crewman walked across the bridge in essentially a one-piece miniskirt uniform. A male? Yes. The men (laughs) wore miniskirts in early episodes of The Next Generation. Really? It was quickly phased out, right. presumably because of that reaction that you just did. <laughs> you were the men with the miniskirts. Did you have to sell it to the legs? I don't know. I don't, I just, <laughs> a couple of men did wear miniskirts and the women wore pants. Which is just oh. wrong. 
isn't it? Yeah. Men don't can't wear mini skirts even in the future. <laughs> it's just just very silly. It was a first season episode and was probably a Roddenberry attempt to show gender equality. Nah. Yes, we agree wholeheartedly. Diversity for sake of I actually think it was the pilot episode. Okay. It wasn't done much after the pilot episode. Presumably because people like us thought it was dumb. Hmm. Also, I'd completely recommend watching the original series in remastered form. The images have been colour corrected so the reds, yellows, blues and greens that make up the sets really pop on TV, HD or not. Yeah, the remastered ones are cool. I'm really digging that. And the new effects are unobtrusive so as to not take you out of the feel of the original show. The sets don't have tons of digital rontos or land speeders mucking up the scene and the Enterprise looks like the original model, but its motion doesn't look like it was hanging from wires. Both of these series are currently streaming on Netflix over here in the States and for a $9 a month subscription fee it's well worth the cost. I've heard that Netflix should be expanding into the UK by the end of the year so this may be a neat way for you to get all your Star Trek fix in one place. We have Love Film. Is that not the same as Netflix? I don't know. I think it's roughly the same. You pay a subscription fee and it beams to your PlayStation. I think it's something like that. Finally, I misspoke when I said that the BBC was a government-owned station. I meant to say government-funded. It's not that either, really. The government (laughs) doesn't really have anything to do with the BBC. Fortunately. And in that way, it's much like PBS over in the state where I lived. The Doctor Who that ran most frequently was the Tom Baker and Peter Davison versions. Yes, they ran a few of the later episodes of the Pertwee era and a few into Colin Baker, but they mostly kept the fourth and fifth in a constant rotation. I'm certain I've never seen an episode of the McCoy run and only a handful of Troughton and Hartnell, but I have watched most of New Who and I'm really enjoying Matt Smith's take on the Doctor. It also helps that Stephen Moffat is a remarkable writer and brought on Neil Gaiman to pen one of the best episodes episodes I've seen in yeah. a long time. I'm waiting for, I'm looking forward for the Grant Morrison episode. He said he's got an idea, he's not been commissioned to write it. No, but I'm still, I'm still, you know, uh, well, holding my breath. If you like Stephen Moffat, I don't know if America ever got press gang, but if you did, or if you can track it down via the internet furry. Maybe if I, you can find it. If you, you can, can find it, maybe you can hire it. You need to get a hold of press gang, which was a 19... 19- 89 to 2004 series that Stephen Moffat did about a bunch of sixth formers who run a school newspaper. Now I know what you're thinking <laughs> to quote right. Magnum PI and you're right, that sounds awful but it was and is the best kids in inverted commas television show ever made it's got all of Moffat's dialogue, it's funny it's exceptionally well acted it's filmed on film so it doesn't look cack mostly on location and if you can track it down it's well worth watching it lasted for five seasons and every year it won a BAFTA for best children's television series and it was only cancelled at the end of its fifth year simply because it was too expensive for ITV to produce on children's television budget there have been frequent rumours that Press Gang is going to come back as a film or a TV movie and I certainly know that Moffat and the star Julia Sawalha and Dexter Fletcher are interested in doing it but given that it's been a rumour for over 15 years now I kind of doubt that it's going to happen but if you like Stephen Moffat's writing you need to find out Press Gang and Sherlock yeah. Sherlock was brilliant as well, so you need to track that down as well. Anyway, Sean continues. This lecture is getting long. I'm certain you have plenty of couch potato viewing to get on with. We've done all of that, uh-huh. mate. Hope you're having an enjoyable summer holiday. I don't want to go back to work. No. And I can't wait for couch potato. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. I feel like I'm to work today. You should have, but you didn't. Uh, and now we're into our couch potatoes. 
Yay. Andrew Morton, a new person. A new person. Hello, Andrew. It's good to have you. In the sense that you've <laughs> written us in, not in the... Let's just move on yeah. from that, should we? Hello, Andrew and Michael. Hello, Andrew. First, let me congratulate you on your fine podcast that you both do an excellent job with. Love the show, Steve. The views are from two generations of comic readers are insightful and it is frequently laugh-out-loud hilarious. I'm sure that's unintentional on our part. <laughs> Helped by the fact that as a fellow Brit, I can get the majority of the references. Excellent. Well, that's good, that's good. Yes, I quite like that. I do know a couple of people have emailed me from America saying I don't know what you're talking about, though. No one ever does, though. The Chips and Pie Barn one, particularly. Yeah. I emailed Michael Bailey and told him what Chips and Pie Barn was. Did not say it's oh, fries chip, um, and a pie on a butter. We're, we're, no, chips aren't fries, really, are they? McDonald's do fries. We do chips. We do nice, big, fat, sausage-finger chips. <laughs> That's what we do. Anyway, we're digressing. Andrew continues, Although I have listened for a while, I was moved to write in after hearing your incredible Hulk couch potato episode, where it was revealed that Michael had to hide during David Banner's transformations. Dip, dip, dip. <laughs> As a child, I too was constantly freaked out by the transformation into the Hulk. Although I can watch the Hulks out, the Hulking out now, there is a similar transformation that takes place in Superman 3. Dude! Where one of the women is then snurred by the computer and turned into a cyborg, which still freaks me out to this that day. And too. I have to leave the room when it comes. See, I loved that! I remember watching it with you and Mummy yeah. in your bedroom and that. Uh, I loved that, even as a kid. I love that. But I loved in Westworld when people's faces would fall <laughs> yeah. off and they were robots. Maybe I was just a freaky child. No, that, that Superman 3 bit creeped me out. Did Which I? is funny because the rest of the film's crap. I like quite... No, the fight in the junkyard oh, yeah. is awesome. And all the stuff with Lana Lang's cool. Yeah. All the stuff with Richard Pryor's crap. Well, yeah, yeah. Although, Robert Vaughn has some brilliant lines. Yeah. I ask you to kill Superman. And, and you can't, can't even do, do that, that one simple, simple thing. thing. He has some great lines. I can't have anyone with me who isn't with me. I love that line. Okay. And um, when he's quoting Thingy, I forget who. Because I know Superman, but I don't know proper quotes. Yeah. Um, it is not so much that I have to succeed, but that everyone else Should must fail. fail. Robert Vaughn has some brilliant lines in that film. It's not a great film, no, but I can watch it. Anyway, enough of my phobias. <laughs> Just had to let... Just let me thank you both again for an excellent podcast, and I look forward to more Couch Potato, which, as an SFX subscriber, I got that reference to. Regards, Andrew Morton. Thank you very much, Andrew. Yes, I did rip that off, SFX. Rip Couch Potato. Right. They used to do a feature called Couch Potato where they would sit and watch TV and slag it off. Okay. Or not, as the case may be. Luke Giaconetti emailed us again. Dudes. For some reason, the concept of Andrew and Michael in Walmart in Florida is absolutely <laughs> hilarious to me. Again, like something from a British sitcom, a definite fish-out-of-water scenario. Actually, Walmart wasn't the problem when we were in America, in Florida, was it? I was trying to find the bloody toys. Well, that. But Walmart bought out Asda over here in the UK. So essentially, Walmart. you walk into an Asda in this country, and it's Walmart. It's mm. The layout is no different. The only difference is it's warm in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> bloody freezing over here, even in August. So the, that's not the problem. The problem, the fish-out-of-water stuff, was when we were in Subway. Yeah. Remember that? And we were with a buddy, Simon, and he was trying to order a, a butter, and the woman behind the counter could not understand what he was ordering, <laughs> to the point where he just had to point at the board and say, I want that! <laughs> Which was hysterical. And the woman, 
We were served by quite a pretty young girl. Yeah. And after she'd finished and she gave me a button, she took me money. And I'm looking at this funny Monopoly money that they use in America where everything's the same colour and the same yeah. size. And uh, she says, you have a great accent. And I said, thank you very much. So do you. <laughs> and she looked at me for a second like, I don't have an accent. <laughs> and then she went, oh yeah, to you. Yeah. I have an accent. And she was lovely. She was really nice. So they were the only places that we had a problem. Most people when we were over in America were lovely. And we're, 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 they thought we were Irish, which I never understood. <laughs> no, we're not that drunk. I always narrow it down by just saying, yeah, we're near Liverpool. You know the Beatles? Yeah, we're near them. <laughs> yeah. Even though we don't but have a scout I, I accent. I used that in China. Either. The toilet's from guys guy. It's like, oh, you're from England. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's near my... You know the Queen! <laughs> yes, we hang around with Lizzie all the time. <laughs> I'm uh, Paul McCartney's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, Luke continues... Because I just got sidetracked there. I don't know if I've ever seen the Captain Cold episode of The Flash, but I do like this series in general. The pilot, I thought, was excellent. Yeah, I like the pilot movie. Oh, great. Is this Flash feedback? Yes. I had the pilot movie on VHS tape for many years and eventually bought the DVD set. I need some time to watch the entire series again. I may be able to get my wife into watching that one too, so maybe I can pull that off. Yeah, your mum will sit and watch The Flash with me. I will, sure. You're wrong. I'm preparing all this Flash feedback I'm preparing for. Batman, Over the Edge is a great episode and has my favourite Bane line from the animated universe. Um, please, you remember me, Mr. Wayne. But Two-Face may actually be the best episode from Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I think Which that. we decided not to. Well, we decided not to do that one because ultimately Two-Face is a, a cracking episode. But my thinking was it's so good we, we just episode. end up sitting there watching it. Because yeah. it, it's, it's the Two-Face episode when you've started watching it from the beginning from the beginning I thought this is pretty damn good but it's the Two-Face episode where you sat there going right so we're not aiming this at six year olds then are we (laughs) it's a cracking episode Two-Face Zatanna was alright but two things dragged that episode down for me one Z is just a stage musician not an actual musician well we mentioned that don't we and two she was nylons instead of fishnets yeah you you weren't approving of that at all were you at the time the episode was produced, the animation studios could not draw fishnets without them looking all blobby, so they went with nylons. I think we said we thought that, didn't we? That was yeah. our guess as to why they didn't have fishnets. By the time Justice League rolled around, they had managed to learn how to do it right, hence both Z and Black Canary both have their fishnets. Keep up the good work, guys. Luke, thank you very much, Luke. Luke Jacanetti emailed us again. Dudes, yes, Montague Kane looks like Hugo Drax Michael Lonsdale. I said that. Okay. Moonraker is not the best Bond movie. No, it's not. But Drax is a classic bad guy. Yes, he is. The only line better than an you, Dr. Goodhead, your desire to become America's first woman in space will shortly be fulfilled, is, Mr. Bond, you persist in defying my efforts to provide an amusing death for you. There's some brilliant lines in that film. Moonraker's not a great movie and could have been helped by some judicious editor. But there's another great line in that. Take Mr. Bond. Put him out of my misery. (laughs) Which is a fantastic line. I can watch Moonraker quite happily, even though it's a Roger Moore one. Zatanna did not appear in another episode of Batman the Animated Series, but of course she did reappear with her proper fishnets in Justice League. As I said in an earlier email, which we just read, it's a pretty good episode with all of the Bond references and Z being super hot, but it has some shortcomings in animation and story. Still, it's fun to see Zatanna running around with Batman. Over the Edge is a classic episode in a series which is teeming with classic episodes. It's the kind of story which works 
perfectly in this format because you can hit the audience with the cold open right off the credits and then the story just rolls right along. Not only was the Scarecrow redesign in the new adventures, but he got a new voice actor as well. Although Scarecrow has no lines in this episode. The shady tones of Jeffrey Coombs really helped make the character a menace because while I like how the Scarecrow was handled in early Batman episodes, this one is certainly more modern and scurry. Riddler's redesign I can take a leave. There's really only one good Riddler episode, Riddler's Reform, and that was in his original design. Bane's redesign is directly related to how he looked in his first appearance. In Bane, the production design team purposely made Bane's face boyish and non-threatening because they did not like the character and thought he was a gimmick. Evidently, they changed their opinions by the time this episode came around. Also in Bane, we see him doing Venom, but we don't get his origin per se. The Lady Michael referred to was Robert Rupert Thorne's Ravenhood Mall Candice. The line, if the bat's on a spree, Wayne must pay the fee, is a reference to Johnny Cochran's famous, if the glove does not fit, you must acquit from the O.J. Simpson trial. All right. Okay. We didn't notice that. Uh, See, the O.J. Simpson trial didn't get as much play over here as it did in America, to be fair. Because to us, he's just that guy from the Naked Gun films. And the guy that used to advertise in comics. That's where I knew O.J. Simpson from. He used to advertise in comics? He used to, there used to be full-page ads in the comics of O.J. Simpson advertising trainers, I think. Okay. That's, that's the only place I knew him from, other than the Naked Gun films. So over here, that wasn't the big deal that it was in America. Also, every episode of Batman the Animated animated series and other DCAU shows were animated overseas. Early on in Batman the Animated Series they used multiple studios which is why there's such a wide variety of quality of the animation. Keep up the good work fellas, Luke Giaconetta. Thank you Luke. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com We now have our two-part Michael Bailey email. Okay. Okay. Just started listening to the Flash commentary episode of Hey Kids. So far I'm enjoying it, as always. Here are a few thoughts right off the bat with more to come. Keep in mind that this first comment is taken as a joke, mostly. Number one, please send me a list of things Michael likes and how I can sit there and pick them apart just as he's pissing all over one of my favourite shows ever. Tell Michael what you like. Um, no. (laughs) I've already told him. I've already emailed him. I gave him a long list of things that you like so you can turn the crap out of him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Number two. Oddly enough, I was a year or so younger than Michael when this first came on, so it is odd to hear his perception of the show as a teenager now. Number three. The show was not cheap. It was cancelled mainly because it was too expensive. 1.6 million an episode, maybe nothing today, but it was expensive at the time. I, I don't agree with you at all on that. I think the special effects in The Flash still hold up. It looks like it was filmed off the Batman set when they weren't filming Batman. Yeah, but Batman was filmed in England, so there you go. And, and no one can act in it. Oh, come on! I stumbled home one time and you were watching it. And it was crap acting, and it was a bunch of crazy people in an alley, and then the next day you're like, that was the best episode! Which one was I watching? I don't know, but I had some crazy dudes in it. That's every episode! Yeah. That, uh, oh, I quite like John Wesley Ship, and anything that's got Dick Miller in it, 
can't be all bad. Okay. I, I enjoy. I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree on the yeah, Flash. I disagree. And I don't agree <laughs> with you. Did you not see my joke? It was just yeah, Whatever. Number four. I think it's kind of odd. Michael doesn't enjoy this, but enjoys Batman the animated series. And I feel the Flash and the Batman animated series have a lot in common. Not least of which is the Shirley Walker score. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, the animated series is good. <laughs> You're just not letting this lie. Are you? Oddly. You did enjoy the 50 Superman show. Because the 50 Superman show was good. Why? Alright, okay. Why was the acting in the 50 Superman show better than the 90s last show? I don't know, it's context, I suppose. In the 50s, the, the, I mean, overall, everyone was the same. The actors is the same people. More kind of broad and over the top a bit. Yeah, which was alright in context then, but it was the 90s, right? And all the 90s shows... Pretty much we've had your crap Will Smith comedy 70s show stuff. That 70s show. Yeah, or you, you had your darker Flash stuff in Shizzle. See, I don't think Amanda Pays is the best actress in the world. But I liked John Wesley Shipp, and I liked Mr. Genovese. I always want to call him Cosmo Genovese, but he's Mike Genovese, isn't he? He played the police captain. I liked him. I liked Alex Dessert as Julio, but he wasn't given a lot to do. No. Um, Token. Uh, yeah, and saying, see, I think we just showed you a naff episode. Captain Cold wasn't a great... You need to watch the Mark Hamill ones. I've seen the Mark Hamill ones. The Mark Hamill ones are great. Does he have a big hand? Or is that another Mark Hamill thing? I don't know. I can't remember. I've not watched those in my recent rewatch. I need to. Number five. Captain Cold was not a hitman in the Silver Age. He was just a crook. He was a bounty hunter when William Messner Loeb's was writing The Flash. Jeff Johns may have retconned him into a hitman later. Not completely sure about that. But in the Silver Age, he was just a cookie criminal with a gimmick. Six. The show did not pattern the costume after Wally West's uniform. At the time, the show began, Wally was wearing Barry's costume. Right around the sh- time the show went into summer hiatus, DC had Wally adopt a similar looking costume around Flash number 50. So Wally stole this costume, not the other way around. Somebody uh, else has emailed about that as well. Uh, so you're getting bent out of shape over something that's, that's not wrong. I'm alright with it now, because I can't get bent out of shape with it now. Okay. The Flash costume, Michael Bailey continued... Uh, for the series was designed, if I'm remembering correctly, by Dave Stevens, creator of The Rocketeer. At the time the Flash series was in development, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeer were also developing The Rocketeer film, so it would make sense that Stevens would do a little design work on The Flash as well. He's not credited. Yeah. Robert Short's credited as doing the costume, um, but I don't doubt that. I don't doubt Dave Stevens had something to do with it. Cause the Rocketeer, not, not good. No, The Rocketeer's great! What is wrong with you? I watched it. It wasn't that great. I love the Rocketeer. It was decent. It's great. You know, what can I do with it? One of the aspects of the show I love is the timelessness of the piece. Flash was very much a forerunner of Batman the Animated Series in tone and feel. Some of the her do's are very 90s, though. Captain Cold, not Captain Cold, Mirror Master's her is quite, quite bad. Played by David Cassidy of um, the Partridge family. No, he just wears a leather jacket. Only the trickster has a costume. You see, you've got that as well, though. Throwing away good costumes. Mm. Maybe they didn't think the costumes would work. See, I think you can make anything and work if you do it properly. Watchmen. And yet you've got Watchmen. Yeah, so. Um, I agree that Captain Cold was not the best episode of the series, but I do think highly of it. During the latter half of the season, the series started introducing more comic book villains and doing a new take on them, much like Batman the Animated Series. They probably had... This probably had to do with Howard Chaikin and John Moore coming on the writing staff. I like this version of Captain Cold a lot. The albino thing was a nice touch. Lois and Clark premiered a little over two years after this series ended. 
The most probable reason they didn't use Lois Lane as a character was that the production company didn't have the rights to use her. Even though it was distributed by Warner Television, Warner Brothers didn't produce it directly. It went through Pet Fly Productions, I think, and they would have had to get the rights to specific characters from whatever company within Warner Brothers that handled the licensing of the characters. The corporate structure of Warner Brothers seems massively complex, and to be allowed to use certain characters probably requires a sanction from the Pope and an act of Congress and Parliament. <laughs> The name check was nice, though. Yeah, and she, she does mention Carter Hall yeah. in an episode. I, just, I think Michael mentions this, actually. I would have preferred to see Terry Hatcher play the reporter character as well. She was in Tango and Cash around this time, and with Long Herb was hot. Like a lot. There was another great name check. Oh, yes, he does mention that, yeah. Carter Hall was hot, man. Um, Tina McGee mentions him on the phone. Okay. I want to say, in watching The Detectives... But I've watched about five or six episodes in the past week, so they've all blurred into one now. Uh, I really like Julio Mendez as a character. The best episode with him was Beat the Clock, which delves into his backstory a little more. His girlfriend, Sabrina, is paid by Jeannie Boulay from ER. Did he find her in a fridge? Yes. And she's never credited. Okay. Never credited at his girlfriend. I never understood that. Prank from the second Trickster episode was play, played by Corrine Burrow. I thought she was cute at the time. Then she put the prank outfit on and holy crap, cute to hot in a nanosecond. Prank was also Veronica Mars's mum. Okay. And, oh God, she played a witch in some 90s sitcom that I can't for the life of me remember what it was called. Vice Versa! That was it. Okay. It was a sitcom in the late 80s, early 90s. Thank you, Internet. I do recall her being in that. Very good it was, too. Dave Walker got in touch. Hey, guys, just back from my holidays catching up on your show. I think it's strange. Just before I left, I got the first few Spider-Man 2099 issues, and that's for the first episode I missed. Just finished listening to the Hulk and Flash episodes and was wondering a few things. Is it ever established or discovered that it was Jack McGee responsible for killing Rick Castle's mother in the pilot? And do you think that it's his guilt for causing her death that makes him pursue the Hulk so relentlessly? Uh, it was never established in the show that McGee knew he was responsible for the fire that killed Rick Castle's mum. So it's a good idea for some motivation. But as far as I'm aware, no one ever knew that he did that or ever found that out. Uh, there is an episode of Castle. Yeah. Because that's what he's referring to. Susan Sullivan played Elena Marks in the pilot for the Hulk and he's also Castle's mum okay. in Castle. Where she's watching that Hulk pilot. Okay. Because she's going through all her old acting stuff and she watches that Hulk pilot and they talk about it. Okay. Which I thought was a nice little callback. So that was good. Um... My, I wrote my last episode to The Incredible Hulk when I was about 19, 18 or 19, because I was so disappointed in the death of The Incredible Hulk movie. Do you still have it? No, I wish I did. Do you want to know what it was? What? Um, the opening episode is a Hulk out, yeah. and it's a Hulk out at the place where David Banner's working. And the reason it relates to Dave's email, we will come to in a minute, right. and he gets back and trashes the place for whatever reason. He gets back and he comes out of his Hulk out in his ratty little apartment, and he's got no money and no clothes. All he's got is his work overalls. So because it's payday, David Banner makes the mistake of sticking around for another day to get paid so he can get some clothes and some money and get the hell out of Dodge. Okay. By pure coincidence, Jack McGee happens to be in the area, goes to the place where David works, and corners him. And he corners David Banner and finds out who he is, and he hulks out, and 
because he's hulked out in public, everyone's seen it, so there's no hiding this anymore. He's been chased by the police and everything. Big, massive scene that I wrote in this story. And at the end, he's cornered by the police, and McGee talks him down and calms him down back into being David Banner so he doesn't kill any policemen because he's terrified that he'll kill people. And then I have my second act be the trial where David Banner's put on trial for murdering Elena. And in that, they find out from old police reports that Jack McGee caused the fire. So that's why it relates to this email. I did have them find that out. And McGee is actually crushed by this because it turns out he killed Elena Marks indirectly, not the creature. So obviously David's found not guilty. One nice touch I did have Jennifer Walters as his lawyer, which I thought was quite good. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I thought it was funny. And the episode. I get it now, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the story ended. I mean, I had a lot more in it than that. I had some yeah. big subplot that caused a few Hulk outs and stuff. But the episode ends with Banner being exonerated for it. And McGee is found as John Doe. And together they find him a scientist in New York, Dr. Richards, who is going to help him find a cure and the episode ends with him getting on a bus to go and hopefully be cured but now he's clear he's, okay. he's David Banner's clear of this creature's crime he's back alive McGee's found everything else so it didn't actually end it they could have carried it on yeah. if they wanted to and I wrote that as about a 19 year old and I'm did, still very did, proud did of that not, like, get arrested for breaking your death well there's extenuating circumstances I've, I worked it all out the Jennifer Walters <laughs> figured it all out for him because yeah. she's a lawyer but anyway that was my last episode of the Hulk also Michael is wrong on two points regarding the Flash oh, continues Dave go. first of the series is awesome there you go especially the pilot and the trickster episodes I concur wholeheartedly I'm pretty sure it's the main reason I actually started reading comics properly after watching this on the sci-fi channel at the end of the 90s and finally finding my local comic shop yes its effects aren't spectacular by today's standards but they're pretty good for the time see I don't agree with that it's the only thing I don't agree though Dave I think the effects still hold up today you don't because you're wrong but I think the special effects are still pretty damn good Okay. Uh, in a lot of places secondly Barry doesn't wear Wally's costume in the series at this point in the comics Wally is still wearing a version of Barry's costume they're around issue 46 at this point in the TV show's run he adopts the TV show costume okay, okay. so there you're happy now I can, I can still do it now New Frontier the animated one well whatever Oh, anyways, looking forward to Batman the Animated Series and agree it's a crime. They haven't released a full collection of DC Animated Series over here, but may try eBaying them now I know they're not region encoded. Dave Walker. P.S. While I'm on the subject of DC Animated, Batman of the Future does not sound as good as Batman Beyond. No, it doesn't. No. And in another example of Warner Brothers not wanting my money, they've not released Batman Beyond over here either. Okay. So, screw you, Warner Brothers. I used to have a Batman Beyond. You did. Batman Beyond Batman Beyond. Yeah, but Our next email, The Continuing Adventures of the Couch Potato, is from Andrew Morton. Hi, Andrew and Michael. Hi, Andrew. I have just listened to the third episode of your Couch Potato series of episodes and decided to share my thoughts. I don't have much to say about The Flash, except that it wasn't poo. <laughs> Not by the standards of the day, at least. And it was a shame there was no second series. Yes, it was. Because John Wesley Ship says... Yeah. the second season pilot pilot episode second season opening episode was already in development because they got cancelled quite suddenly Yeah, and they were going to have all the villains come back Captain Cold Mirror Master and the Trickster and they were all going to tackle the Flash at once which I think would have been awesome mm. you probably think less so 
But as we have all established from our lovely listeners, you're wrong. Yes. No, no, no. I just have a different opinion. That's wrong. No. Batman the Animated Series is, of course, a fondly remembered cartoon, and one of the few exceptions to the rule that the best cartoons all came out in the 80s. The annoying habit Saturday morning children's TV show had of splitting episodes into two was very annoying, mostly because of the rubbish that was used to fill the gap. Yeah, God, that was trash. Why were these? It was just Tommy Boyd and a couple of other people waffling and interviewing celebrities, and it was lame. <laughs> Lamer than lame. My favourite episode, Andrew continues, is Girls' Night Out, where Supergirl and Batgirl team up against Harley, Ivy and Livewire. Yes, that is an excellent episode. Okay. Another excellent one is the one where Superman pretends to be Batman for the day. Okay. What's that one called? I don't know. That's an excellent episode. Batman has, has Batman gone missing? I'm probably mixing the plot up here. And Robin goes to Superman to say, without Batman, Gotham City's falling to bits, and Superman pretends to be Batman and takes out Bane in one punch. <laughs> She's gone! Genius! And he didn't go to Nightwing? Uh, no, he didn't go to Nightwing. Oh, was this Superman? Was this Robin? No, I think it was Tim Drake Robin oh, right. by that point. But it's a great episode. Girls' Night Out is a great episode as well, as is Mad Love. Yeah. which is also exceptional uh, in regards to themes I was never fond of the Shirley Walker theme that was used I believe in season 2 when it was the adventures of Batman and Robin much preferring the original Elfman score from the film the final theme that one used for the Batman Superman Hour as I think it was called I first came across on the Superman homepage and it quickly became my favourite superhero theme after John Williams' Superman yeah it was pretty cool Lan. we'd never heard that before ever no it was just pure fluke. You have it on your iPod now. Yes. Do you? Yeah. That's a great <laughs> theme. That's a brilliant theme. To finish this ramble, I would like to point you to the direction of the AV Club website, where they have a weekly review of Batman the Animated Series episodes, avclub.com, which are generally entertaining and informative. Yes, they are. Um, I, um, I checked that out and was quite impressed by those reviews, so I have been working through them. So I do thank you for pointing us that out, Andrew. I look forward to the next episode of Spider-Man as a series I loved as a young child, but it's a bit too cringe-worthy for me now. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew Mark. Yeah. Um, At least when we get to that one, people will agree people with you. People ho- hopefully will agree with you yeah. the 70s Spider-Man show was crap. Another email came from Dave Walker. Hey again. Great episode choices for the Batman episodes. It's been ages since I've seen them, pretty much due to the aforementioned lack of DVD releases. Get ye onto eBay and purchase them because they are region free or get the internet furry because I have no problem with that if Warner Brothers don't want to release them if Warner Brothers don't want our UK money screw them maybe they're just nice they, they, know, they know you have stuff to be buying instead of DVDs so no it's nice. just stupid I mean I do like that they don't region encode them which is quite nice of them but whatever Zatanna was an unexpected choice though I guess it's appropriate since Paul Dini married her yes he did have you seen Paul Dini's wife She's a magician who looks exactly like Zatanna. Her name's Misty Lee. Dave sent us a link, so if you want to check out what Misty Lee looks like. Okay. Because I'm sure that you will, won't you? Missed Mark Hamill's Joker, though. He's the voice I hear in my head when reading Joker stories. Yeah, same with me. Mark Hamill is the Joker. Since you mentioned it on the show, I'm going to assume that you have the Paul Dini and Chip Kid authored Batman animated book, which I think is a great insight into how the show was put together. Just thought you wanted to know what you thought of the pages titled Not Yet Acceptable, acceptable for Broadcast. Yeah, Especially I like the pictures included. Well, I am leafing through. There's a picture of like a naked Catwoman and a beer bottle and a cross just flying out somewhere. That very book right now as we speak, because it is an excellent book. This Batman animated by Chip Kid and Paul Dini. 
That's it then. Uh, not yet acceptable for. Oh, yes, 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 yes. This is a fantastic double page spread. There's a poster by Bruce Tim of all the things that they can't show on television, which is a naked Catwoman still with her mask on. So Spider Man's probably into that. Child endangerment, the Joker being throttled and shooting, drugs and alcohol. Um, Smoking. And smoking, yeah. Oh, and there are some brilliant person. notes from um, broadcasting standards and practice. The network says it is not their practice to show animal excrement hitting anyone on a children's show. Um, which one's my favourite? What's my favourite? Baby doll can't bash Batman in the face with Mr. Happy Head. <laughs> So those two pages are exceptionally good. Yes, I'm very, very impressed with those two pages. Uh, Dave continues, Spider-Man should be good. I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> do not remember a thing about it, but do remember watching it on BBC Two way back when Channel 4 was doing the 60s Batman series sometime in the 90s. Hope the next time you do the couch potato thing, if you want there to be a next time, you consider doing the world's finest on nighttime episodes of Superman or any with Gilbert Gottfried and Mr. Mixes Pitlick. Nighttime is the one I was just talking about where okay. Superman doubles yes that would be a really good one to do as a couch potato because it's okay. really funny but World's Finest would be a good one to do as well as an audio commentary that the film? that's the three parter that was released over here as a film yeah which, I had on video. which you had on video before I got the DVD releases I didn't say I wasn't Batman that one that one's really good Okay, thank you very much, everybody, for your email correspondent. That brings us up to date with emails. If you would like to have your email read on the show, all of the information will follow in the credits, because I'm far too lazy to say it twice. Yep. If you want to email us, feel free to do so. Uh, secondly, we're on Facebook. We have a forum. Join in. Email us, Facebook friend us, whatever you want. If you have any suggestions for what you would like us to look at, if we have it... We're more than happy to, to take suggestions. I'm not saying we'll act on them, but we're happy to have them. We and we are. may do another Couch Potato season if we ever feel like being lazy again. Because it was very, very easy compared to normal episodes, wasn't it? Next summer? Maybe maybe we'll do it... Christmas. Yeah, maybe we'll do one over Christmas. Who knows? We could do a special Christmas episode. Yes, of Christmas episodes. Christmas with the Joker. <laughs> and holiday nights. And, oh, The Flash didn't do a Christmas episode. No. Email me which superhero TV shows did Christmas episodes, and we will do a Christmas couch potato. Okay. Just of Christmas episodes. That's a fantastic idea, Michael. I approve wholeheartedly. I was thinking books we got for Christmas, but oh well. Oh well, we'll do that after Christmas. Um, We may also need to know where to get copies of them if we don't have them. But we'll see you next time. We're going to start doing relaunch season, where we're going to be looking at books that have been relaunched. Because we are whores, and we are shamelessly hoping to cash in on DC's relaunch. I'm looking forward to the relaunch. Yeah, I'm, I'm moderately looking forward to it. We are going to look at Superman number 1 from 1986, Sensational Spider-Man 0 from the 90s, Avengers 1 and Fantastic Four number 1 from Heroes Reborn, The Punisher number 1, Welcome Back Frank by Garth Ennis, and The New number 1 by Greg Rucker, and Daredevil number 1 by Kevin Smith, and The New one by Mark Wade. They're the ones we've got on tap so far, and we will definitely be looking at Superman number one and Action Comics number one because Grant Morrison wrote one of them Yeah. so I'm suspecting there may be a difference of opinion there <laughs> so we'll see you next time thank you very much bye 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 Hey Kids Comics is at the devil will find work for idle hands to do production every Thursday new episodes drop at aplayland.podomatic.com 
you can join in the fun. We have a website where you can view the covers of the comics that we talk about, www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and the show can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. If you're allergic to email, we also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We are also on Facebook. You can contact us using Hey Kids as the first name, Comics as the surname. The opinions of Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Andrew and Michael and no one else. Mainly because no one else would be dumb enough to have those opinions. The music and clips used in the show are copyright, their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.